0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Relationships Rock. Today's episode is actually a little bit of a different format because it is an edited recording of a Zoom Live that I hosted with Shiddach Roundtable. We collaborated together. We've done this before on different topics. And this actually came up... Let me take a step back for a second. So last year, we had put out an episode, episode 17, on pornography addiction and dating and how to navigate somebody who reveals this to you, what questions to ask, what is addiction? How does it damage you? And the response was phenomenal. Whenever I discuss any sensitive topic, I literally, my hand trembles when I'm like posting, you know, the the publish button or when I've done lives with sensitive information, I'm, I'm very conscious of the importance of this information being out there at the same time being done in a sneeze way. And I am so happy that many reached out saying that it was a very helpful episode. And many got help because of it. There was one piece of feedback that I kept getting back from brave guys who were willing to reach out to me. And they really wanted to hear from a male voice. We had had um, Naomi, who is a CSAT certified sex addiction therapist was based in LA that she does do remote and she was absolutely excellent. And we subsequently did a live where people just got to ask questions. That was not something that I posted here, by the way, in general, you can add me on uh, WhatsApp and you can get to see kind of what I'm doing in other areas. Um, I'll put my number on the description box and you know the feedback was it was great but i would love to hear from a guy from a man who understands what the struggle is who maybe has a different uh, awareness or concept of look this is something that we've all been exposed to and that it's really hard for a guy who has been dating or or who's just been single for a long time or even not that long to not have any outlet and you know, what I found with a lot of the feedback was that kind of like the main question that keeps coming up is where is it just an outlet, something that, you know, it's not necessarily good or healthy or beneficial, but let's not blow that proportion. It's not an addiction. Why are you encouraging girls to ask guys if they're struggling with this? So again, a lot of sensitive information, and I searched high and low for a from male cset and dr Benjamin tepfer was actually recommended by one of the listeners um it was a guy who reached out to me and said i heard about him and he's great and he sent me some links and i felt like there's no way i'm going to be able to get somebody who's has so much expertise to come on the podcast and You know, I always say, open all the doors and let Hashem close the ones that are not for you. So I opened that door. I reached out to Dr. Benjamin Tephra and was pleasantly surprised and truthfully honored that he agreed to come on. And around the time that I had reached out to him is when Naomi and I did kind of like part two of that conversation, which we decided was not something that was going to be posted necessarily on the podcast, but rather it'd be a female space to ask questions, anything not just on porn addiction, but a lot of other topics within sexuality. And it was an excellent turnout and an excellent conversation. And there were requests from guys to have that same thing for guys, for men, for males. So I reached out to Dr. Tepfer and he agreed. So we decided to do the live first. And this is an edited version of the live. There has been a lot of requests to do a part two with Dr. Tepfer. And I'm sure that we will, in the future, whether it is on the actual podcast or in a live, be able to address a lot of the other questions that we did not get a chance to reach in the timeframe of of the live. So I hope to have him again on the podcast. And I want to really thank him, not just for coming on, but for also doing it in a very different format. I really wanted it to be a male space. I didn't want to be in the conversation, even though most of it, as you guys are going to hear soon, is really helpful for everyone. And he presented it in such a really thought out as well as sneest way. But I wanted the live zoom to really feel like a male space where guys could, you know, chat in the questions and it just be a conversation between men. So I did not do the you know question and the conversation and the in between, and that's why the format is a little bit different. You're just gonna hear him speak. Though I do hope to have him back on, hopefully at some time, on this podcast and to have you know a conversation with him. I want to thank him again for coming on and for doing this. And I hope that everybody who listens gains some meaningful insight. One of the comments that we got back was every single guy who's in shidduchim should listen to this conversation. And I don't think only if you're in Shidokim, you should listen to this. I think for all guys, this was really a very educational and well thought out and important conversation to have. And hopefully will bring a lot more awareness to a topic that is so embarrassing and shameful. And a lot of people do not reach out for help because of that. Dr. Benjamin Tepfer, PhD, is the founding director of Arbor Intensives, an intensive outpatient program, IOP, located in Brooklyn, New York. The center specializes in providing cutting-edge integrative treatment for trauma, behavioral health, and emotional wellness. He also maintains a private practice in Cedarhurst, New York, Brooklyn, New York, and Lakewood, New Jersey. I will be putting all of his contact information in the description box so that you guys can reach out to him.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for that introduction. And um, it's an honor. It's a privilege to have been invited to uh, this evening's program and um, really I I, uh, I find it a tremendous uh, opportunity uh, that uh, that I was invited and I'm therefore grateful to uh, um, Rabbi and Mrs. Batesh and uh, the entire community for um, this virtual community for um, the very strong turnout and interest in uh, this uh, very, very important topic. First of all, I want to, uh, just introduced the topic. Um, around 15 or 16 years ago, I was uh, I was seeing and working with uh, a young married uh, fellow, and um, his wife was actually expecting their. Uh, I think it was their first or second child, and um, I had wished him well, and I knew that the next time I'd meet him would be after the birth of his uh, of his child, and um, a couple of weeks later he came in. And um, I wished him Mazel Tov in person. His wife had given birth. And I asked him how the experience was, how it went. And he said to me, he said, I'm embarrassed to share with you that I actually missed the birth. Um, I said, what, what happened? It was, it was quick, where you, you weren't able to, to make it in time. He said, no, no, no. I actually drove my wife uh, to the hospital. Um, I said, so what happened? You were out of the room. And it, he said, um, I said, I don't know how to put this into words. He says, uh, I was very anxious. And uh, what I do when I'm anxious is that I tend to go on my phone and watch things. And um, he said, I was in the parking lot, in my car, on the phone. I was watching pornography and um, I was not there. I was doing that for hours. When I came back in, um, my wife was there holding our new child. And that was my introduction um, really to the intensity, to the all gripping, I'll call it powerlessness of, of what we're talking about tonight. Um, this was the first of thousands of stories, of struggles, of consequences of losses, of grief, of shame, of pain, of, of all, all sorts of emotions that um, that come as a result of this struggle, as well as the joys and the accomplishment and the victories that come along with progress in this area. So tonight, we'll try to scratch the surface of a very, very big topic, um, and it's this topic of compulsive or addictive um, use of pornography, of sexual content, and um, and how to try to have some sort of a picture, the lay of the land um, to discuss some sort of tools and get a better understanding of, um, of the issue and of how we can hopefully address it. So question number one, what is the huge deal, the big deal, um, we're having this entire Zoom, so much is written on, it, spoken about, talked about. Why, why are we making this entire uh, issue? This is a very normal thing. It's uh, very common. If you look out there in the world, these are things that, uh, I don't know, I want to say the word everyone, so many people are engaging in. What, what What's the big deal? So, okay, so if you're a religious Jew, maybe it's something that uh, perhaps goes against halakha. Okay, not to minimize that, a hundred percent, it is maybe wrong religiously. Okay, I try to do um, my best. But like, what what's the what's the big deal? And not to minimize that, is there anything else that I I should understand aside for that, for the religious um, obligation or restriction to um, to what we're talking about tonight? The impact of what we're talking about tonight is huge. But some of the things as we speak about it, you'll see are more subtle, are more nuanced than others, not as apparent as we might think. And therefore, many, many people overlook and miss what's really going on um, with this issue. So first and foremost, if we want to compare and understand pornography really as one of the very, very powerful and very, very all-encompassing addictions It fits really um, the exact nature clinically and as well as neurologically um, in terms of PET scans and CAT scans. In terms of our reaction to the content that we're exposed to from pornography, the dopamine levels in the brain really mimic those that uh, cocaine has on the brain. And therefore, we're talking about a very, very addictive behavior. it's not a substance that you ingest but it's something that has the same impact on the brain. So we're dealing with a process that becomes and can become very, very addictive in and of itself. Now, putting addiction aside, so I won't become addicted, I will become addicted. What is the nature of my relationship with this material that has some sort of effect on me? So I think the best way to begin the conversation is to understand it in the context of what intimacy is, of what connection is, of what healthy sexuality is, and why pornography is really the, the beginning of a spiral so far away, miles and mile, taking a person miles and miles apart, or, or far from what we want and what he would want, and what the couple hopefully, after he is going to be in a relationship, is going to want with the experience of intimacy. What pornography starts in motion is a very, very disconnected experience of an erratic sexual experience. That disconnect means that this individual is beginning or is initiating his entire relationship with sexuality. It's one that has nothing to do with another live human being, but it has to do with pixels. It has to do with a screen. It has to do with a keyboard, or it has to do with his phone or his tablet. It has nothing to do with anything about intimacy, about a connection, about a context of a relationship. Now, what does that result in? Well, when that's a repeated experience for an individual, what ends up happening is sexuality, eroticism, begins to develop as something that's disconnected, it's something that's out of the context of intimacy. And then when one attempts eventually to bring that into a world of a relationship, that transfer is not one that is easy, not one that is close, and not one that is very convenient. And in my, in my work with, with so many people over these years in um, this area of recovering from pornography, addiction, dependency, compulsivity or habit, different levels of usage. The harder part of the work, harder than recovering, harder than getting out of it has been, then developing in these individuals the capacity, the ability to then have healthy and rich and connected lives intimately with their wives. The part two, has been harder work than the part one because of what is being initiated, what is the patterns that are being set in this person's brain, the pathways in terms of what sexuality is, what eroticism is, they become deep. especially if this is started young, then there's a lot of unlearning, a lot of undoing, a lot of repair that needs to be done. Along with that is an experience of sexuality that's a self-centered experience. The individual that's watching pornography is concerned and only concerned with himself and with his satisfaction or his ecstasy or his high, and it has nothing to do with the consideration of another human being. So it's a very, very selfish or receiving, pleasurable experience. And that shift ultimately to sexuality is about one that's about mutuality, about mutual consideration about generosity. And of course, there's a give and take, there's receiving and there's giving. But to make that shift is again, one that becomes unfortunately a very, very large far leap after years and years of being inducted into a disconnected self-centered world. Going on, there's something that's very non-vulnerable about the experience of, of pornography. Uh, What do I mean by non-vulnerable? There is no risk-taking on any emotional level of being intimate, of being close with another person. There is a safety in experiencing eroticism, experiencing a sexual high, but there is no other person that can potentially reject me, that can ever give me any hint that I'm not adequate, I never have to personalize anything. So it creates this very, very safe, very non-vulnerable experience that I can have and get this deep, pleasurable experience and have no need to take any risk, any interrelational type of risk. And therefore, again, when that shift needs to happen or if a person's in a marriage, then they'll very, very quickly opt to this non-vulnerable experience when uh, one that has the risk of of rejection that uh, seems much riskier seems much more costly than than going to this non-vulnerable form. We can go on and on just to list a few others uh, just to give you really a, a taste and a picture of what I'm talking about. Some of this is more nuanced some of it is not as obvious as um, as uh, a person, you know, would would necessarily think uh, at the outset, but as we as we go through this list, I think that it becomes really clear, really self evident, that we're dealing with something that is by no means a small or insignificant uh, thing when it comes to just the development of a person's capacity for intimacy, for healthy sexuality. Um, so, in addition to to what we've mentioned. What what pornography is really about is it's the induction of also a um, a look at the opposite gender. Here, it's men can be looking at other men, but more often at um, at women. And there's a word that we 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 um, like to describe the approach of pornography, which is objectification, uh, along the lines of what we were saying, with it not being a mutual or relational experience, it then becomes person object where the pixels on the screen, that person is not a human being, there's no emotional connection, but there's a person who is viewing this other human being um, as a sexual object. And when someone is objectified in that type of way, it's also the uh, exact opposite. Or the extreme, the 180 uh, away from the world of relational connection with another person. Pornography is so often displayed in these very unrealistic type of uh, scenarios. Uh, When when I have couples come in and uh, a wife will tell me, you know, that uh, I'm recently married and I just want to know, I I don't want to be someone who, you know, says no, or I want to be someone who's considerate. I don't know, my husband is asking me for just like this strange or inconsiderate or uncomfortable things in in our intimate life. And I don't know if you feel, is that something that should be um, accommodated for? And right away, when when, when that type of uh, language, when that type of question comes to me, it almost always, I don't want to say the word always, but it's almost always a result of a spouse, of a husband, who has been exposed or is still ongoingly involved in watching pornography and bringing that whole objectified, unrealistic, really sometimes demeaning world of pornography and then bringing it into that relationship. And that question comes along with an innocent, um, uh, sometimes (laughs) sensitive, considerate wife who doesn't yet know, or doesn't yet consciously know that, um, that she's really this uh, this object that is transferred over from his screen now to his wife. And the uncomfortable feeling and the question is really one that's coming from that type of place, that type of experience and that type of realization that that's what it feels like to be on the other side of that. The, the final point I wanna say is, is that in addition to so many of the relational dynamics, We're seeing a tremendous uptick right now in sexual dysfunction in this country, in the Western world. uh, There is a very, very high level of ED, that's erectile dysfunction, the inability for people to keep an erection throughout the uh, sexual experience with their partner. And we are also seeing um, P, premature ejaculation. And if you look at research, the simple explanation by far as to why male sexual disorders are on the rise is because of the overwhelming exposure of young individuals to pornography. And just to explain why that would result in either premature ejaculation or uh, ED, the levels of sexual stimulation that a person is exposed to in 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of viewing pornography, the is just such an unnatural, unrealistic, overwhelming level of stimulation. You can scroll and scroll and scroll till you select the video or the content that you want. You're you're literally scrolling through dozens or scores or hundreds of women until you then select the one that then is going to be viewed. And then what is viewed, the, the, the unrealistic stimulation level is going on then sets the homeostasis or that default level of the brain to such a high bar that what happens then in real life in a regular normal healthy sexual intimacy does not meet the level of arousal of that person who has set his tolerance level for stimulation so unrealistically high that then there there's an under reactivity there's a boredom to just the regular, the sadnesses, the regular, normal, natural, healthy, organic um, sexuality and intimacy becomes something that um, is just uh, not enough for that person. So when we talk about again, the effects of pornography, I hope after we mention this list, some of it is, is now um, just self-evident that we're, we're dealing with wiring a brain wiring an emotional default of, of an individual to to such a distorted um, you know set of connections that then to to connect to the um, to the world of intimacy is just something that is is so is so is so distant it takes such hard work hopefully if ever the person can then repair that you know, to understand the world of premature ejaculation what we see is is that, when a person is overstimulated and very often it comes along with shame and it comes along with guilt, what we're, what we're seeing is, is that there's a discomfort with intimacy and very often from a dynamic standpoint, premature ejaculation is the individual's way of avoiding intimacy, that vulnerability, that emotional connection. And the premature ejaculation allows that person to not immerse in and be comfortable in this connection with this other person and the time of that immersion to be one that's patient. So premature ejaculation, really, the function of it, for, for some cases, for many cases, is going to be that discomfort with that connection with another person that we were talking about as the result of that world of pornography. And therefore... Um, Someone in the comment wanted to understand, therefore, why pornography would also um, affect the premature ejaculation piece. So, therefore, that also is a result of it as well. There's another piece I'll touch on. uh, That is just a a bigger conversation that really has to take place uh, probably with its own talk, its own podcast, um, its own discussion. And that is just the, the world of masculinity. Masculinity means the healthy connection to a person's gender, meaning men, being men, being masculine, and everything that that encompasses emotionally, relationally, spiritually. There's a lot to talk about on that topic. When we talk about pornography and everything we were just mentioning, the experience of an individual, of a man, as a result of experiencing sexuality in the way that we were talking in that artificial, disconnected way really impacts healthy and full masculinity in its highest ideal form. Because masculinity has in it really the need to be of service, to need to show up and provide, protect, even connect to become well-versed or an expert and, and contribute in really significant ways. And there's a lot on the topic, if you want want to look into it, um, Jung writes a lot about it, about the king, about the warrior, about the sage, about the lover. And what we're talking about in terms of um, the shadow side of of sexuality really destroys the inner world, the emotional world, the spiritual world of an individual who gets stuck in that dark place. So we talk about the consequences. We're talking about the consequences of intimacy, the consequences of a person's own emotional, healthy, self-identity, self-worth as a man. We'll briefly mention some other consequences. It's the um, in the world of spirituality, just that that feeling of inadequacy, of disconnect emotionally, that feeling of shame, um, the time that's so often lost, and. When, when a marriage is also um, affected by this, just the the relational impact of, of either the secrecy that needs to take place between a uh, husband and his wife in this area, where she consciously may not know, unconsciously she may know. And if she finds out with some sort of discovery or disclosure, there's also that, that betrayal that we'll talk about uh, in some future sessions. So I hope that um, we were able to get uh, some examples of the of the impact. Here, we're not just talking about uh, a religious issue, which is in and of itself significant, but we're talking about uh, so many other, more subtle, more nuanced impacts and consequences as a result of of what we're talking about tonight, which is the um, the topic of pornography and uh, sexual content. Okay, we're ready for question number two. You spoke to us about the impact, about the consequences. Okay. So I'm a single guy. I am looking forward to hopefully dating, hopefully finding my bashert, hopefully getting married very soon. I struggle a lot with this topic and um, I hear everything you just said and I couldn't agree more. I am so hopeful and looking forward that after I get married and hopefully have a healthy outlet in my wife, that we will have a hopefully physical, great, wonderful sexual relationship. So can I look forward also to this um, struggle, this challenge, this very, very difficult area in my life to hopefully have less of a challenge, less of a grip, less of a hold on me because I uh, I will have a relationship. I will have an outlet. I will have a person that hopefully I can share this in a healthy, good, kosher way. with. That's my question. Will that be something that's easier? Will that solve my issue? The question is a wonderful question, a very, very well thought out question. And I think that there's different parts to the answer. The the first thought that comes to me in terms of individuals that have struggled and um, have not done any considerable work in this area, but have hoped that their marriage is going to solve this issue. So my inconvenient or Disappointing answer is, I have not seen that um, getting married has helped individuals in this area. As shocking or as surprising as that may sound, by and large, individuals that have struggled with this have fallen into that pattern. And that pattern has so many of those, quote unquote, convenient aspects to experiencing this escape, this ecstasy, this pleasure, that marriage does not then solve and eliminate and put an end to the issue. What unfortunately often happens is that there's a continuation. So not only now is there a problem that continues, but there's a new problem, because so often with people who've been struggling in this area and have not done the work necessary to address it, find themselves in relationships, in situations of intimacy with their marriages, where there's, like we were mentioning before, a lot of frustration, challenges, problems. Wife gets frustrated, then they get resentful, and it leads to a whole snowball um, of back and forth, uh, resentment, misunderstandings. And... A, a, a lot of challenges both ways, husband to wife, wife to husband in this area. And then there's all the more of a reason to go to this outlet because now the person has uh, even someone to blame that I thought that uh, life would be so much simpler. but now that I get married in this area and this person is not interested enough or is not comfortable or is resentful that I want it this much. And it just leads to even uh, again more resentment and more justification. Now this is not the, the situation, and this is not the case in every situation, there are exceptions to this, but I'm just giving you over um, a very common this continuation response that I have seen of people before continuing into after their marriages and um, that the struggle in and of itself, is not going to solve itself just by the shift from singlehood to being married, that an individual needs to own up and take personal responsibility. It's not someone else or a different state of my life or stage of my life that is going to ever solve this issue. There needs to be a personal, deep commitment and accountability to work through and work on this issue on one's own, not just one's own meaning without any help from people or from friends, but on one's own meaning out of the context of necessarily putting it onto someone else like a wife or like a spouse. This is something that a person has to um, own up to and really um, take by the horns and and do the work that they need to do and not just outsource it. that when I get married, it'll be something that will be solved. So someone is asking in the notes, um, a very good question and um, I'm glad they brought it up if, if someone's bringing up the chazal that says pas uh, basalo." that's a phrase that's used in halacha for, for different situations where when a person is married then the, the challenge in this area is very very different than if a person is not married and the answer is of course that's true um, but I'm talking about specifically in the relationship with the anonymity The accessibility, the affordability, um, the addictive nature of pornography. I'm not talking about if it was just an occasional um, thing that a person struggled with. But if it's a real problem in a person's life, to say that marriage is then going to solve that compulsive or addictive behavior, that I have not seen. I'm sure that other people can say they have seen it, but um, Pospisal does not uh, solve addictions that, um, or compulsive behaviors. And especially like we were saying before, the addiction itself causes issues in the sallow of that person. Therefore, I can say it's so often as a result of pornography, not even past the solo because of course I understand the person's married, but there's such resentment in that area because the person doesn't approach uh, intimacy, like we were saying, in a, in a fulfilling and a healthy way because of the distortion that he's been um, primed and wired for with his exposure to pornography. Question number three. So I wanna better understand what is it like if my wife discovers that this is something that I'm struggling with, she finds it on her phone, she finds it on a tablet, she finds it on some sort of website history. What is she going through? Like what's what's the big deal? Like, why does she have to, I don't know, be so bothered by it? All right, you were just saying before, it's my responsibility. It's my, I should be accountable. I should do this work. So why is she making such a big deal about it? Why is she getting so bent out of shape? Why is she so broken? Why is she so destroyed? Why is she so hurt? So let's go through to the best that we can. Um, Although I I can't claim to myself um, fully uh, understand that, but I'm going to tell you about the experiences of really the hundreds of, of couples, of spouses, of wives that um, that I've heard from, that I've worked with. And I'll try to relay over what this experience is to the best that I can. So first of all, what happens is there's a destruction. There's a deep shattering of the experience of trust in a relationship. When two people get married, there's I don't know the right word is spoken or, or unspoken deep commitment assumption that intimacy, that sexuality is going to be an exclusive experience between these two people and only these two people. And that level of intimacy is only going to be shared between the two of them. And when one discovers that there's this sexual life or this is, there's this experience that um, their husband has been having outside of that commitment, their world is shattered. The world is shattered. Trust is broken, and there's this deep, deep, deep sense of betrayal. Of betrayal that I feel that you have cheated on me. Now, who's the other person? Why is there that that experience? They ask spouses, you know, it, what is that experience with pornography? Most will respond that it's it's emotionally experienced. on the level of their husband uh, cheating with another person. You can say there wasn't an emotional affair, there was an emotional affair. There's this sexual experience that's outside of our intimate relationship. And why that's so betraying to a woman is because rightfully so, she fears, and not only fears, but she experiences that there is no way in the world I can compete with the endless content that you will have at your uh, beck and call uh, on your technology, on your computer, and the interest in me is going to be reduced to minimal, if not nothing, or the interest in me will be one, like we were saying before, of distortion and of of objectification. So therefore, just the betrayal in this area, is one that's devastating and one that really shatters uh, the world of a wife, the world of a spouse. In addition to that, so often there's this deep, deep shame that comes along with the betrayal, that comes along with the anger. And the shame is experienced because so often this spouse then looks at themselves and says, it's about me. I wasn't enough. I'm not fill in the blank enough. And that's why he did that. Now, whether they articulate that or not, that ultimately becomes the experience of those women. Now, is that accurate? Is that right? Of course not. In our, And in our work with them, we always say, you did not cause this. Um, you can't control it. You can't cure it 100%. It has nothing to do with her because she could be whoever she wanted or whoever she thinks she needed to be and her husband would still struggle because it has to do with him. However, the nature of all of us is that we take responsibility. We take blame. We personalize when things like this happen. And therefore there's that deep feeling of inadequacy that she then has to work out and work on. And the the, the relational um, dynamics after such a, an experience of such a discovery just change so much where the admiration, the respect, that uh, that one had for their, their husband, their spouse, is also just thrown into the mud um, after, you know, this is something that uh, that you can't have the self-discipline on. This is something that, um, that you can't control yourself on. So it's very, very hard to then, you know, admire and respect the person who in this area um, does not have that self-control. So those are some of the, just the tip of the iceberg of some of the experiences Um, that a spouse will feel um, as a result of that. So our next question. Alluded before to the fact pornography can be an addiction, it can be like uh, cocaine, is every time a person views pornography, um, are we going to call him an addict? Or are there different levels? Can it sometimes just be a taiva? Can it just sometimes be a desire or a struggle that a person occasionally has? And we don't have to always say that it's an addiction. And the answer is, of course, that is the case. That is correct. It is not always uh, an addiction that we're dealing with. Addiction it has to fit you no know, specific type of criteria, and it's important to differentiate. Are we dealing with something that a person, you know, occasionally gets, uh, you know, um, the better of him, or gets lazy with, or makes a choice to indulge in, although it's incorrect, or is this something? that's already on the level of an addiction. And uh, just to go through briefly some of the criteria to understand this, Um, it doesn't have to be every one of these variables, every one of these factors, but here are some of the checklist items uh, to understand if we're dealing with something that's an addiction or we're dealing with something that's uh, um, uh, perhaps a bad choice, but not necessarily on that level. The first thing is is that addictions usually have a quality of a form of obsessing. There's an obsessing about it. A lot of thinking, a lot of planning, a lot of anticipating, seeking out opportunities so the person can go to quite some lengths to purchase a second uh, unknown um, piece of technology or Looking forward and anticipating to situations where their spouse is going to be out, and they'll have the opportunity to um, have time to themselves. So there's a lot of you know, chasing um, for the situation, for the um, accessibility, for the circumstances where a person can engage in this addiction. It's not just oh well, the person happens to 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 do that. So that's number one. Number two, two is there's a loss of control the person has repeatedly attempted to stop again and again and again they have sworn to themselves this is the last time i am, I am engaging in this behavior and again and again they find themselves back in and uh, stronger than ever more than ever and then again and i've had i've had people tell me um do you know how many phones I have smashed, do not have any tablets, I have thrown into dumpsters, right? Over and over and over again. Many, many attempts to stop. Number three, the person continues this behavior despite very clear negative consequences to themselves and to the people around them. They're clear about that. And that's why they tell themselves they don't want to do it again. And despite these negative consequences, over and over again, they continue this behavior. There There's so many losses that the person experiences. And despite that, and they make a cost-benefit analysis, and they are for sure, quote-unquote, paying much more than they are getting in this area. And the addiction is something that keeps them caught in that cycle. Two are, are um, common by substances, but especially in number four, um, by, um, by pornography as well and that's the uh, concept of tolerance. Tolerance means that as I engage in this behavior over and over again the level of my engagement becomes boring becomes under stimulating and I need to up the ante I need to have some sort of novelty that pushes the envelope more because the original level is something that is already boring. So Uh, Therefore, we'll find that there's more and more of an intensity in terms of the content that the person is engaging in because of its addictive nature. It needs to have that constant higher level of stimulation in the brain. The way it works is that something that's been exposed to it becomes desensitized. So therefore, tolerance is another quality. The final one is withdrawal. When you take away this substance, when you take away this pattern of behavior from an individual, They literally start to, um, whether it's uh, suffer from withdrawal symptoms, emotionally, physically, they really have this extreme discomfort with symptoms because they are not used to um, being separate from this behavior. So here are some of the qualities. Again, not everyone has to be present for there to be an addiction, but we find many of these present. Then we're talking about something that's on the level of um, an addiction. Now someone I think posted a question, does this have to be with pornography or can this also be with explicit content? Today's today's uh, topic I believe was online behavior. So that's why um, I'm I guess assuming that we're talking about pornography but the, I'm so happy you mentioned this because this conversation is not at all limited to pornography. Um, there are people that will fit exactly everything we were talking about but not be viewing anything online visually but they can be reading very explicit um, sexual content they can be chatting or sexting back and forth Um, or they can be engaging in phone sex where they're just listening to sexual content there are many many ways of of engaging in uh, compulsive and addictive sexual behavior Comes in many different uh, colors and shapes and sizes. This question Dating someone, want to know, I need to share, when I need to share it, how I need to share it. Struggled with um, watching things in the past. Is this something that I have to share, and bring up, mention? I know for sure she'll uh, think I'm the biggest pervert and she'll uh, dump me the first mention. Uh, that I make of any of this is that something that I have to do and sabotage everyone that I uh, date, never get married. So this is a very complicated topic. Um, we'll try to organize it a little bit, but there may be halachic components, and um, I'm going to therefore also encourage people uh, whenever there's a halacha part to um, to a question that that needs to be also addressed with someone who is. Uh, your halachic authority, who can also clarify from a halachic standpoint, but I'll try to answer um, based on my experiences of individuals who have um, dealt with this issue, dealt with this question. So we need to divide up um, different categories. What we mean when we say that someone is struggling is the person currently struggling, or is the person um, has the person struggled in the past? If the person is currently struggling in this area. I, I'll put out there just something to think about. I strongly question whether this individual is ready to be dating and uh, entering a marriage. Based on what we were saying before, marriage is not something that is going to fix this issue. And if this is something that is an ongoing struggle, what I would encourage anyone who is um currently really challenged and struggling in this area to first be able to do their own independent work in this area and really get that under their belt and have some level of time where they're not engaging in this struggle. And then um, to go into uh, dating and uh, hopefully finding the person to marry and then entering a relationship uh, on the right foot. Now, let's say this is something that was a struggle in the past. So what are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with, um, well, someone's asking how much time? That's a good question. So I deliberately didn't didn't wanna answer it because there is no exact rule book and textbook that's going to tell you the answer. It's also how much time, and then it doesn't mean I'm perfect exactly with never having one slip in that entire period of time. So this is something that's not, um, you know, I can't give you a mathematical or scientific answer, but it has to be that this is not something that a person finds themselves in the, in this, you know, whirlwind of addiction. So whatever that means, there's a, you know, some people will say a six month period, a three month period, and does it mean that the person is, but it means that there's not this significant relapse in that period of time, some sort of significant period of time where a person feels like they're in a stable way, stable place to then, uh, begin dating. If this is something that's not currently a challenge, but um, is something that was a challenge in the past, we also have to differentiate. Were we dealing with something that was a significant addiction and the person got serious professional help and may have engaged in a 12-step program uh, for a significant amount of time and is now doing well? You have to ask someone um, a halachic authority, but in, in, in those type of situations, is that something that needs to be disclosed, I can hear very strongly that when it's at that level, even though it's in the past, it's something that uh, pr- a person probably deserves to be told um, at some level in the dating um, experience. People may, may 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 take a different position than me. You'll ask uh, someone, uh, again, who can guide you in halacha in that, uh, in that area. Let's say this was a struggle. Um, it wasn't on the level of addiction and a person was able to get out of this. I think that that's a very different situation. Um, and I don't necessarily think that every struggle, um, I, well, well, I should say the other way around. I don't think uh, that every struggle that an individual has, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman, whatever they struggled with, that that needs to be shared and disclosed um, in the dating process or forever. Um, so therefore, I think that those are just some um, and brief categories to help us organize um, that topic. Now we have a lot more to get to, and I think we have um, a little bit amount of time. So I'm gonna talk uh, a little quicker. We can probably use uh, a lot more time on realizing on this topic, but we'll do the best that we can. So can you tell us what are some healthy, useful boundaries um, in this area and I'm gonna lump another question. How do we sort of overcome or how do we get out of this struggle? What are, the, um, what are some of the helpful tips, helpful tools to, um, to be aware of? So let's jump in. Number one, in terms of boundaries. So it is so important to realize, and I'll try to explain it very briefly as to how I understand boundaries being so crucial and important in this area. What happens is, especially if someone's had previous experiences of struggling in this area, the brain is very, very sensitive and attuned to the set and to the setting of these um, experiences. And therefore, there's already, by exposing oneself even to that environment where the person has previously acted out, that already gets the brain turning. It's almost like a ritualistic Pre behavior, and the person already has a certain level of anticipatory dopamine, anticipatory adrenaline, excitement. And then from that type of high quote unquote place, the person then is expected to make great decisions. Hence the importance of boundaries for us to identify what are scenarios and situations that are already going to be challenging and stimulating for a person to really, uh, they call them the three circles to know my red light behaviors. Okay, here's my addiction. My yellow light behaviors, that's like sort of the behaviors around that um, red light area that are sort of the pre behaviors, sitting alone at my computer late at night um, is something that is already sort of a ritual because it's so linked to and associated with acting out. So then a boundary can be made around that. Okay, meaning that I don't go on an unfiltered computer in such or such a scenario. So a person has to really learn the lay of the land in terms of boundaries. The final um, piece of that, uh, you know, red light, yellow light, green light um, layout for a person is to also identify the positive behaviors, the healthy behaviors that get a person in the right type of uh, mindset that contribute um, positively to a person's life so that we're not just on defense in this area, but I have healthy outlets. It helps me to connect with friends or it helps me to exercise. So to put that into my daily life as well. So that's the three circle plan to know what my addictions are, to know what my boundaries around the addictions are and to know what the positive behaviors in my life need to also be in terms of keeping me in a good, healthy, um, well-balanced place. Now, just to also note that in terms of doing work in this area, there's the behavioral uh, aspect, which means, yeah, some of these surface type of um, important boundaries, knowing how I, right when I am triggered, you know, the the fire drill, sort of the go-to's, by the way, if I am triggered, can I take out a consequence list that I've written to myself and sort of read that? Or can I, you know, call a friend right away and I know which two or three friends I'm gonna connect with, there's a, a line in essay That's the 12-step program dealing with um, sexual addiction that uh, says the following, lust hates light, meaning it's the secrecy of these type of feelings that ultimately um, build up within a person. And when it's brought to light or when it's shared with another person, very often it deflates it. So having these type of um, strategies and tips are very, very helpful. However, there's also the, the importance of knowing that there's very often internal work that a person needs to look at and do in terms of solving this. Sometimes the behavioral stuff on the surface is not going to be sufficient. I'll give you just some some ideas, some concepts of what I'm talking about. Very often there are significant traumas that uh, could have been in the area of sexuality or can be in other areas that were untreated and that are constantly in that person and therefore to escape or avoid needing to deal with those feelings, the person develops escape or numbing mechanisms, pornography can be one of them. And therefore getting to the root of what is going on underneath is something that needs to be solved if, there, if there's going to be a lasting sobriety in this area. Um, some other areas to look at, sometimes there are anxieties where there are emotional um, issues, that pornography comes to solve. And unless the person is going to look at what those emotional um, dysregulations are and really get tools to solve them, then uh, they're not getting to the root of the issue as well. Sometimes life itself is chaotic, the way that they're living. And just organizing, structuring life is an important component to getting better. Connecting to other people versus staying isolated is sometimes a part of it. So the deep inner work is also going to be um, sometimes a necessary and big part of this work this was we did a very very a tour the France of, of, uh, of you know hundreds of miles uh, we tried to cover in this uh, short period of time that we had but um, I, I hope that we were able to at least touch on um, these questions that um, again were organized some of them were submitted well thought out and um, and give people a concept, an idea of some of the impact, of some of the consequences, and that hopefully we don't have to be uh, that individual. Um, It may not be stuck in a car when our child's born, but whatever moments there are in our lives um, of connection, of authentic intimacy, that we're able to experience them in our lives and not have them replaced, and not have them substituted um, by what we were talking about, by pixels, by, um, by yeah, the non-vulnerable, fake, um, inauthentic connection uh, that uh, we're chasing after you know, in the shadows of pornography. And uh, I'll close you know, with, um, we, we know that uh, Rashi brings down, Yosef was in a very, very vulnerable situation. He was down, alone, rejected in a foreign land and everything pulling him to uh, struggle and to really succumb in this area. And there's actually something very, very powerful that Rashi brings down, that the image that saved him, that saved Yosef was he saw the face of his father. And I think that part of the hidden message in, in what Rashi's teaching us is uh, this exact point, that to combat, to combat struggles in this area, really, it's not just defense, 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 but it's to replace it with the memory or the experience of what real connection is. And Yosef, of course, Ayla told us Yaakov Yosef, Yosef's connection to his father, to Yaakov, was beyond words. And therefore, what pulled him out of slipping into the shadows of intimacy was to remember what the power of real, authentic, and full connection to another person is. And therefore, I think that um, in in you know our parting message, we should remember that, that it's not just going to be about boundaries and it's not just going to be about talking about consequences, but it's each and every one of us, it's to strengthen the connections that we also have with friends. This is not something that's easy to get out of or sometimes possible to get out of on our own. So it's something that um, needs us to reach out sometimes to people who are, knowledgeable, experienced in helping others, sharing this sometimes with teachers, with rabbis, with um, uh, close and trusted friends that um, that can help us, and in general committing ourselves to these deep, meaningful attachments that uh, they don't get replaced with um, the pixels and the artificial. And hopefully in this way we'll um, be able to also have the ultimate intimate connection that we're uh, looking forward to uh, with uh, the coming of Mashiach and we will see Hashem also face to face in a very intimate way Um, I I want to look at our screen and just see if we have time for any question so so, I want to end with one person's question and I've been asked this question a lot there's a single who's saying are there any healthy channels for a single person experiencing a lot of sexual feelings and urges?" And th- there's no simple answer to that. But what I would say is that we need to try to fill our lives with a rich, broad range of engaging, connecting, learning activities, um, experiences, and um and really live very, very full, rich type of lives. Does that mean that that's going to replace uh, the sexual? I, I don't think it will replace it. But just being broad, balanced um, people who are living you know, engaged, healthy um, lives that have variety to them in a, in a good way, that, that at least positions us to, um, to hopefully be in the best possible place where we can contend with uh, um, with the challenges that we all face in terms of the years uh, prior to our marriage. On that, we are going to hold further questions just for the sake of time. Uh, I want to thank everyone who participated tonight. I hope it um, it was a help and um, you are able to walk away with some more information that uh, you'll find useful. And if need be, maybe we'll do in the future if there's a strong need and we have a lot of other questions on this topic. But again, I want to thank each and every one of you and I want to thank um, the organizers for um, inviting me and for giving me this opportunity and I want to wish you all a good night and uh, thank you all again.
0: I want to thank Dr. Tepfer again. I will be putting his contact information in the description box so you guys can reach out to him directly. I look forward to part two and I will speak to you guys soon.